Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, we're going to continue our study that we started about a month ago, I guess, when I filled the pulpit the last time in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. So we'll kind of pick up where we left off there. And uh, just as a, as a review, let's, let's uh, read through uh, verses 1 to 19, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for we, he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, be not carried about with diverse wind, <coughs> excuse me, diverse and strange doctrines. <coughs> For it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace and not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest are for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Let us there let us go there go forth therefore, sir, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, the giving of thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate not, or forget not, uh, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they, they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray, with, or pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience, and in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you, the rather do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. All right, you might remember the last time we, uh, we looked at the book of, of Hebrews and we, we talked a little bit about the background. It's, uh, uh, and we talked about it in the context at that point of all the change around us, you know, changing political things, changing uh, things happening in government, and even theological changes that we see where people were, you know, backing off of some biblical stances and, uh, and compromising on some things there. And, and uh, in the context of that, we focused on Jesus Christ, who's the, the same yesterday, today, and forever in verse 8. And uh, building up to that, we, uh, we said, okay, the book of Hebrews was written in the late 60s uh, A.D., and, um, and we looked through... Uh, why it was written. It was written to a, Jew, a group of gr Jewish Christians, uh, and part of the reason was to show them that there was a, um, 
it was basically kind of a letter that was exhorting them not to go back to the system of, of Judaism that they were saved out of, but uh, to be encouraged in the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is uh, the ultimate man, the ultimate priest, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate king, and uh, that they needed to worship and follow him rather than uh, revert back to what they were comfortable with. I think this, you know, the, the, the approach we'll take, and, and we'll have a little review here, and then we'll, we'll go through the passage that uh, we're going to cover today. But um, we'll kind of go through it the first time with, the, with an eye from the people that were coming from this Jewish background and what the changes that are uh, captured in Scripture here meant to them. And then we'll kind of look at it a little bit again, just, you know, what does it mean for us? And I may mix the two. And I mean, if you look at the, uh, the outline that's in the bulletin, I, I tend to kind of jump ahead to the application in my thinking sometimes, so the notes may kind of reflect that. But uh, we want to see that. And um, Carl and I were talking a little bit before the service, you know, this, this, uh, this lessons that we've been doing with uh, Sinclair Ferguson there in Sunday school is that, you know, it's, I've never ceased to be amazed, and this is Carl and I were talking about, is how God brings things together that, uh, to help us and to grow us in, in, in the Lord. And, I mean, this whole idea of, you know, putting off some of these old things and taking on the new things, this is, this is what's going on here in, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, they're coming from a background that uh, it wasn't a background that was a heathen background. It was a, a background of a, that the Lord had established as a way of worship and sacrifice and so forth. Um, but there was a new, new way. There was a new way in Christ. And, uh, you know, as we talked about in Sunday school, that's uh, what we as individuals need to do. And it also affects what happens uh, in the way that the, 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 the believers that were in this passage uh, move forward together. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see that as we, as we look. Uh, last time we also saw that, you know, we were focused mainly in the, in the first nine verses of, of of the chapter, the first six are really kind of focused on how we believe, how we behave socially towards others, other believers. Uh, we saw the, the the exhortation to brotherly love, and and uh, I think Sinclair mentioned this too, and it was brought to mind some of the things I thought about in that is, you know, this brotherly love is not something that just applies to the people we like. You know, I mean, it's a there's people that God brings together in the church that are that are not like us or me or you, you know, you may have people that you say, I, I can really identify with that person. You know, they, maybe they have a similar kind of work they do. Maybe they, uh, you know, like the same kind of things, but you know, God fits us together, talks about the body and how it's put together. And he, he does that by bringing people that have different, uh, different skills and abilities and likes and dislikes. And sometimes, uh, you know, it, it takes a little grace to make it all work. Right. Um, so that's, uh, I think fits in with the brotherly love we looked at last time. Um, it's a sacrificial love. And then we went on and we saw how we should be hospitable uh, and willing to, to take people in to help people uh, uh, and so forth. And then to remember those that are suffering, whether prisoners or, or being uh, subject to adversity because of the, the faith. Uh, we talked about the, the importance of, of the life, uh, the marriage life, and how it's put to, established by God between a man and a woman, and how it's to be kept pure. And how that, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it, I guess if you look back to the time when I was growing up, that wasn't such an unusual thing that a man and a woman would get married and they'd stay married until they passed away and this kind of stuff. But, I mean, it's starting to stick out like a sore thumb in our, our society today, which I think is it's sad on one hand, but it also is, is a testimony to, to the way God wants things to go. Um, 
And then we saw that we really have no reason not to be satisfied. We talked about the, uh, the corrosive nature of, uh, of, of covetousness and how it, uh, I think, uh, I think Spurgeon said it's destructive of all virtue. Um, being, being content is, a, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain, the scripture says. Uh, we touched on that. And um, we saw that we have the promise of, of Jesus that will be with us. He's our helper. And, uh, and then we, when we got up to the, the verses 7, 8, 9, where we kind of finished it up, was the beginning of a, a section that really starts looking at uh, the, the spiritual implications of some of this. And we looked at the past uh, ministers that have brought the word to us, that have ministered to us, and uh, we're, we're exhorted to, to follow their example. And we saw that there are some that we need to be aware of going forward, be not carried away with diverse uh, and strange doctrines. And so, but in the middle of that sandwich together is Jesus Christ, who never changes. He, uh, he has the truth that the, those that, that stuck by the stuff, as we sometimes say, had, and he, we don't have to worry about him going away uh, and de- deviating from the truth. And so that all brings us up to verse 10, where we're, where we're going to start today. Um, and we'll, we'll see uh, that the, the Lord has some, some good things uh, for us to consider as we, as we look at what these changes uh, bring about in, in the life of, our, of, of these Hebrew believers as well as uh, we'll see in our lives too. Let's have a word of prayer before we start into them. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's, um, you encourage us uh, by your word through various different ways and uh, just the way that we see uh, the truth coming at us from different angles and reinforcing what we're, we're studying and uh, how we encourage each other as believers. I, uh, I guess we, on one hand, we shouldn't be amazed, but we are, and we're very thankful for, for how you work. pray that you'd use this time, use your word, help us to come away with what you, you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start in, in verse 10. And uh, <clears throat> the, the, the title there, the, the heading is, We Have a New Altar. So you think about the, the altar that, uh, that these Hebrew believers were being exhorted to. It's quite different from what they had experienced in the background of, of Levitical worship. Levitical worship, you had uh, uh, a, you know, animal sacrifice and so forth. And so what we have is we have the cross of Christ. We have an altar where our Lord was sacrificed. He was, uh, died for our sins. Uh, he was buried, rose again the third day, and this is what brings us the, the cleansing. Now you might, uh, and one thing about that is it's an exclusive altar. Uh, we see in the passage here it says uh, those that are involved in the uh, the tabernacle worship they they don't have a right to participate. They're still leaning on a uh, another way. Uh, the Bible in uh, John fourteen six says Jesus saith him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So this is, this is something that really uh, doesn't fly well in our, in our pleasant, present pluralistic culture. Uh, you know, we want to think every, they're all different ways. It's all okay. You know, you believe this, I believe that. But um, this is not scriptural. I mean, it's, it's very clear that there's an exclusive way. It is Christ. And, and uh, these... Uh, Jewish Christians that uh, may have 
come to faith, but if they're reverting back into, you know, and relying on this, this temple form of worship, they, they don't have a place in this, in this and that's a, it's a stern warning. It's a, and um, I think one of the things that we'll, we'll kind of touch on as, as we go along here and you think about it is like, you know, we may not fall back to a, a, a temple type of worship, but we may fall back to, to something that's comfortable for us. You know, there, maybe there's something in our past that we have a tendency, you know, and I, I think this is human nature for better or worse, is that when we get under pressure, we kind of fall back to the things we're comfortable with, right? And if that was a, you know, a different uh, religion or something like that, we have to watch ourselves that we don't start uh, thinking, well, maybe that was okay. You know, maybe this isn't that important. And I think what we see here is it is important. It is important that we lean to Christ. He is the, the sacrifice. You don't, you don't mix that with the old. Um, some of the uh, the things that went on during that old uh, type of worship, I'll just read a little bit out of Leviticus 7, 5, 7 verses 15 to uh, 18, I guess it is. It says, And the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering and thanksgiving was, shall be eaten the same day that it is offered, and he shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering that shall be eaten the same day that he offer the sacrifice, and on the morrow shall the remainder be eaten. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings be eaten on the third day, it shall not be accepted. Neither shall it be imputed unto him that offereth. It shall be an abomination, and the soul that eateth shall bear iniquity." God gave some really specific instructions in these offerings, right? I mean, if you look at the book of Leviticus, and I know that's probably your favorite time when you're doing your read through the Bible as you, as you hit that. I guess as an as a engineer type guy with all the technical details, I guess I'm really impressed. I mean, it's very, it's all laid out. God didn't leave this to chance. Uh, uh, he doesn't leave anything to chance, but we know. But uh, he, he had a system defined, and he had reasons for it. Uh, but this, this system uh, had a primary purpose of bringing people to see uh, their need that they couldn't satisfy, that need that was only satisfied in Christ. And, you know, we see all these things about the offering and, uh, and, and all the specifics of that. And, and so they're coming from this uh, mentality. And then we're coming to a point where we just, we, you know, when we think about the Lord's Supper, we're not eating the, you know, we aren't, don't go telling Drake that Mark's teaching transubstantiation. We're not taking the body and the and the, and the blood of Christ, but it's a it's a something that reminds us of the sacrifice that's been done. Uh, George read last week, First Corinthians uh, eleven and verse twenty six says, "Is as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, you show the Lord's death till they come. And whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the word of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord." But a land, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So we have a different uh, picture or symbol that, that draws us back to the, the sacrifice that's already made. We aren't making a new, a new sacrifice. It says if we sacrifice the, the Lord anew, we, that's, a, that's a real problem, right? It's been done. It's once for all. And it's, uh, it's, it's satisfied, and it doesn't rely on this, this sacrificial system that's now been replaced. Um, and so we need to be reminded of that as we are in, in verse 10. Um, 
there's also uh, some you know reasons that this would have been really kind of off-putting I think to the to the Jewish uh, background of that day I mean you think about it I mean they uh, they were living under Roman oppression their system of worship and everything had been pretty much you know they were they, they thought that they were approaching a, a point where God was going to deliver them. I mean, you see the reaction. Uh, people were always looking for Christ to become the king and the ruler and to put down the, 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 the problem of Roman oppression. Uh, and, and now here you're taking a Roman symbol of death, the cross, and it's replacing all this elaborate uh, uh, Levitical worship that was been defined by, by the Old Testament scripture. So I'm sure it was very uh, hard to swallow, if you will. Um, they didn't have the liturgy or the, the ritual that were defined in, in Exodus and uh, in, the, in the construction of the tabernacle and the construction of um, the pattern and also the construction of it, but also and then eventually came into the the uh, temple. And I mean, there's chapter after chapter that defines all that, and now they're saying, you know, that's really not not the point. And uh, you can imagine that would be a, an abrupt change, um, but. It, it also the cross kind of conflicted with the way things they thought things were going to end for Christ. You know, they were looking for him to take the throne. They were looking for him to bring about a deliverance, and uh, and here he dies on this cross. Uh, Calvin says, "No wonder if the rites of the law have now ceased, for this is what was typified by the sacrifices which the Levites brought without the camp to be there burnt, for as the ministers." Of the tabernacle did eat nothing of it. So if we serve the tabernacle, that is, retain its ceremonies, we shall not be partakers of that sacrifice which Christ once offered, nor of the expiation which he once made of, by his own blood. For his own blood he brought into the heavenly sanctuary that he might atone for the sin of the world. So Calvin's saying, yeah, there's, there's no wonder that this has is, this is ceased. It's, it's done for. It's been satisfied. We don't have to look back or we don't have to look for a new way. So we, we have this new altar. And it's an altar that takes us out of the respected religious systems. And, and it's, clearly this is the case for the, the Jewish uh, folks. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, why was Christ crucified outside of town? Why was it, He's being crucified by... At the at the at the request of the Jewish uh, authorities, you know, this is he's rejected. Uh, he's put out there. Says, um, and and we find ourselves in the, in this case now. I say like a lot of the uh, more contemporary thought on, on religious things is a much more broad and accepting and and not so exclusive claim as what Christ has made. So we find ourselves outside the camp, if you will. Uh, it says, for the bodies of the beast whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priests are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Let us therefore go unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a system or it's a, a change that's going to take us outside the camp. Um, and this kind of, again, goes back to the, the the sacrificed animals we saw in, in Leviticus in a couple of places in, in chapter 16, verse 27, it says again, the bullock, the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood were brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry without the camp and burn with fire in their, their skins and their flesh and their dung. Uh, and so 
in the same way that those animals were, you know, they now had the sin on them that was, when they laid their hands on them, they took them outside the camp and burned them the sin offering. I think specifically uh, the peace offerings, they did eat some of that meat, but the, uh, the sin offering was, was taken out and it was burned and, and, uh, and that was part of the, the, the ritual. Uh, and Jesus says was crucified outside the camp and he was rejected by the religious establishment. So what are we called to do? If we go on down here. In uh, verse 13, it says uh, that we're called to, to join him outside that camp. We're, uh, it says, Jesus also that he might sanctify the blood of the people, in verse 12, with his own blood suffered without the gate. And let us go for, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So in, in, this, uh, in this portion of it, we're, uh, we're admonished not to try to hang in there with the uh, the system that uh, is respectable that is you know that is recognized by uh, uh, society i mean if you if you you see what's going on sometime i mean even people not in uh, a church setting or even some you know maybe a celebrity or a sports figure or somebody if they uphold a, a biblical value a lot of times you know on social media they're just piled on it's like a dogfight, and so you can imagine you know as you're as you're talking with folks and at work or whatever and they find out you go to a church that believes the bible and teaches the truth and and uh, this is what it teaches about this you can expect that you know you're going to get some pushback from some people and that's okay you know i mean we're we're called to go outside the camp we're to identify with christ we're not to be conformed uh, to the world um so to join christ let us go out Side of the camp, and then we're so supposed to bear the report reproach. Calvin again says the re- preceding analogy of the mystical similitude might not be frigid and lifeless. He connects us to the important duty required of all Christians. So, in other words, just not to make this a sterile thing. He says, let's 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 talk about this in a little more uh, real terms. He says, and this mode of teaching is what all Paul also adopts. He might show the faithful what things God would have them to be engaged in while he was endeavoring to draw them away from the vain ceremonies. As though he said, this is what God demands of you. But not that the work, but not that work in which you in vain weary yourselves. I don't want you running around just trying to make yourself good. He says, so the apostle speaks for a while. He invites us to leave the tabernacle and to follow Christ. He reminds us that a far different thing is required of us from the work of serving God in the shade and under the magnificent splendor of the temple. For we must go after him through exiles, flights, reproaches, and all kinds of afflictions. This warfare in which we must strive, even under the blood, he sets in opposition to those shadowy practices of which alone the teachers of the ceremonies boasted. Uh, this kind of reminded me of another thing that came up in Sunday school. You know, we we sometimes, you know, we hear something that's written hundreds of years ago, like some of these things from Calvin, and, and I think uh, Glenna pointed out, you know, some of the Puritan devotionals that are written, and you think, these guys were facing a lot of the same things that we face today, and, you know, probably in some cases a much more severe version of it. I mean, most of us have not been hauled out and locked up in jail or anything for our faith at this point, but Calvin saying, you know, even in the comforts of the temple, you had the beautiful place and every, all the worship going on. And he says, it's time to step out of that. It's time to step into worship with Christ. 
Spurgeon says, outside the gate was the place of Christ's atoning. Without the camp is the place where his servants will find themselves most at home. We will find ourselves most at home identifying with our Savior. Uh, not trying to you know, start a countercultural movement necessarily, but I think uh, it's important that we see that uh, our faith is not necessarily uh, the, the mainstream in today's culture. Okay, so we have a, a, a new altar, and we also have a, a changed object of our hope. Oops. These electronic things are great until you push it the wrong way, right? Um, so in this case, we look at the next verse. It says, For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Okay? So as we kind of mentioned, the, uh, the Jews were hoping that Christ was going to be their not only uh, Messiah, but also a, a, a spiritual deliverer. And so they're kind of looking for a continuing city, something that was going to keep going, things that wouldn't maybe require a whole lot of change. Um, and he's saying, hey, you don't have a continuing city, but you have a hope of a future one, the new Jerusalem that's coming. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be different than, uh, you know, you hear the old song, this world is not our home. First uh, Peter 2, 9 to 11 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Uh, and even back a couple chapters in Hebrews eleven thirteen says, These all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but we, having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Uh, Colossians says, and we talked about this in, uh, in Sunday school, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, because if you're risen with Christ, then that's where you should be seeking. Uh, so bottom line is, you know, we're, we are pilgrims. We're strangers. We, uh, there's going to be some discomfort in, in our fit with the, the world around us. And that's okay. I think he's encouraging us in that. He's encouraging these, uh, these Jewish believers as, as they make this change uh, from the, 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 the way of living that they had experienced in the past. Uh, once it said that it extends still further the going forth from what you mentioned. Even as strangers and wonders in this world, we should consider that we have no fixed residence but in heaven. Whenever, therefore, we are driven from place to place, or whenever we, any change happens to us, let us think what the apostle teaches us here, that we have no certain shade on earth, for heaven is our inheritance, and when we are more and more tried, let us, let us ever prepare ourselves for that last end. For they enjoy a very quiet they that enjoy a very quiet life and uh, commonly imagine that they have rest in, the, in this world. And it is hence profitable for us who are prone to this kind of sloth uh, to be tossed here and there and that we who are too much inclined to look on things below that we may learn to turn our eyes unto heaven. So this is from Calvin. And I, I, I guess I particularly get a kick out of this part where he says, you know, those of us that are kind of... Uh, tend to this kind of sloth. In other words, the, the sloth of looking for ease and comfort and 
in life here on earth. Uh, and I'm, you know, I mean, I don't think that doesn't mean you can't have a nice place to live and and uh, and so forth. But he's saying, look, if you if if God shakes you up a little bit, if He ha- makes it where you have to move or things have to have to happen and make a change in your life, that's okay. That's okay. You know, we don't want to get so comfortable here that we're not willing to to make a change for for God. And he says, you know, ultimately, our home here is not is not our stability. It's our home in heaven that we need to be looking forward to. Uh, Spurgeon says, we cannot stop in the condemned city. We must be outside the wall. Our Lord went out of the city to die, so we must go outside the camp to live. So we've got a new hope. We're looking forward to that that's coming, that new city. And uh, it's not necessarily our comfort in, in, in where we are today. So we have a new altar. We have a new uh, object of hope. And uh, we have a different uh, sacrifice in verses 15 and 16. Uh, we saw about the Levitical system and the, the blood and the animals and so forth. Well, 13, or, uh, 15 and 16 say, But by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such substance God is well pleased. So this is not a, a system of, uh, of animal sacrifice that they were used to. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit. I mean, you can go through ten chapters of Leviticus, and it tells you explicitly how to do all those. Another chapter kind of gives you a, a, a recap. Um, there's burnt and grain and peace and sin and trespass offerings. Specific times set aside for a lot of these things. That's that's the past. Our opportunity is a continual opportunity, and it's a spoken sacrifice. Uh, how often are we find ourselves in a situation where, uh, you know, we could speak up and we could we could praise the Lord for what He's done or or, or what's going on in, in our life as a result of His working? And if we, if we aren't careful, we think, well, maybe I don't want to say that right now, or you know, maybe people will look down on me if if I say that. So. This is, this is a, our opportunity. We, have, we can praise the Lord. We can give glory to him in these situations. And uh, if we look in the verses there, it says, uh, offer a sacrifice of praise to God continually. It's not something that, you know, you only bring on a certain day in the sacrificial calendar and, uh, you know, here you come with your animal and, and so forth. No, this is, this is a continual thing. Now, does this mean, you know, you're walking around singing songs all day, all night. No, I don't think that's the implication. But I mean, uh, I'm sure if you think about it in your life, if you uh, if you develop this attitude of praise and you're appreciating what God is is doing in your life, and and uh, it changes the way your morning goes, right? I mean, if you get up grumping about what you got to do, and you know you're focused on the the job you may not be real thrilled about that day, and uh, you know you're not your toast got burnt, and I mean you, you you'll find yourself in in a slump before you get started, but if we're uh, if we're focusing on the Lord and, and His goodness and what He's done for us, uh, it can it can really uh, change our outlook. And this is the, this isn't a message on the power of positive thinking, but it's the but there is a is a, a blessing that goes along with uh, praising the Lord. Uh, going on down there in verse 16, uh, or finishing up, it says, "The fruit of our lips, giving thanks." To his name. So we can be thankful. It's a thankful uh, thing. Um, let's see. I had a couple passages that kind of, I think, reinforce that. In Ephesians uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 18 to 20, it says, Praying always 
with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that I may speak boldly in that as, as I ought to speak. So Paul even, Paul's praying for this boldness. I think this is certainly something I could use more of. Uh, we can speak up and praise the Lord. Uh, if we look through all of, uh, of Psalm 148, I won't read the whole thing, but I mean there's on and on it says, Praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights, praise Him in all, the, all, ye, all His angels, praise ye Him, all ye hosts, and then wraps up, praise ye the Lord. Uh, so I think you know, this pattern of praise is something we find in various places in Scripture. Um, let's see, and then 1 Peter 4:11 says, If any man speak, let him speak also the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do his, of the ability which God hath given, and that God in all things might be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. So whatever we're doing, what God puts us in a, in a way to, to uh, serve him, we, we can do it in a way that, that praises and brings glory to him. Uh, you know, the first question in the, the catechism is, you know, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? And that's what we're here for. So let's, uh, let's remember that. Um, and it's, also, it's a thankful sacrifice. Uh, Ephesians 5, 1 to 4 says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ loved us. And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And it says, But fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be named among you as becometh the saints, neither filthiness or foolish jesting, but rather giving a thanks. Um, again, uh, we hit them in Sunday school. You know, you, you put away these these things. And um, I think I think there's an importance to that. I mean, I don't know about you, but... I do a lot better if I put have something else going into my mind that's going to fill it rather than the junk that's out there, right? I mean, if uh, if and, and and just turning off the junk doesn't always do the trick, you know. I mean, but if you're continually uh, li- listening to scripture, or if you have something else that encourages you, uh, maybe you know. I, a few years ago, I I. My company was bought by another company, and they moved me to an office that was, you know, 20, 25 miles away instead of four. And, you know, four, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of time in the car. I was, um, but, you know, now I got this 20, 25-mile drive, depending which route I take, and it's like, and, uh, but it gives me a great opportunity to listen to some preaching podcasts and and things that I enjoy, and, and I think that help keep my mind focused on the right kind of things. I told Cindy the other day, I've worked from home for a few days, and it's like, man, I'm getting behind on my podcast, you know. <laughs> and, uh, not that that's what life is all about, but, you know, it, it, uh, it, it's a, it's a good time to you know, you find those opportunities and ways to, to fill your mind with the right kind of stuff, I guess is all I'm saying. <clears throat> and it's a directed sacrifice. It's directed to his name. Psalm 113.3 says, From the rising of the sun... Uh, Unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name be praised. So His name is what we what we need to praise. And then it's a giving sacrifice, and it says to do good and communicate, forget not. For such with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. 
And so, you know, communicate, we think of, you know, we're on the cell phone or texting. Or, you know, in, the, in this setting, it's the sharing of resources or the, the helping of others. First uh, Timothy 6, 17 says, But charge them which are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, and that they do good, and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, and that they may lay hold on eternal life. In Galatians, it also uh, talks about this a little bit. It says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. Uh, you have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. So, uh, A.W. Pink says, It's not enough to be good, you need to do good. You know, he can say, I have right standing with God. Don't bother me with these people and their needs and this kind of stuff. And uh, that's, not, that's not what the scripture is uh, uh, putting forth here. Uh, we, we, we are to, to do good. Uh, it says, the, the heart that praises God is delivered from anxious care and self-centered gloom. Uh, so uh, I think uh, that, that's, uh, it helps us as we, as we do these things too. <clears throat> and then, so... Spurgeon says, Christian people should always be doing good, as God is ever doing good. So we can never say that we have done all we ought to and will do no more. To do good and to communicate, that is, to communicate of, of your substance and of your charitable help, forget not. So I don't know if you caught what he was saying there, but it's a, basically, so, you know, God didn't stop doing good. I mean, God's done all kinds of good things, right? He could say, Done. I've done enough good. You guys are on your own. Um, no, he does. That's not the way he runs, and that's that's uh, encouraging for us too, right? I mean, we we can say, well, I've done enough good this week. I think I'll just sit home and watch TV, or you know, put my feet up. But uh, we're encouraged to to do good, to communicate, to help out, and uh, and as, as God gives us the resources to do those things, um, and it's a God pleasing sacrifice. Uh, in the end of verse 16, it says, God is well pleased. And um, I've got a, kind of a negative example to, to contrast this with, if you, if you will. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10, he's looking back and he's, he's looking at the children of Israel as they're coming out of, out of Egypt and they're moving forward and uh, they give the, you know, the bad report except for the two. And uh, in, in verse Five, it says, but with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in in the wilderness. So God basically says, okay, hold on. He says, you know, I've brought you to this place, I've provided a place for you to go, and now you don't want to do it. And He wasn't pleased with that. When we have the opportunity to praise and and to uh, do good and so forth, you know, I don't think you necessarily get a free pass if you just choose not to do it. Uh, so I think it's important that, uh, that we do what God is well pleased with. All right. And then the next uh, point is that we have a modified attitude towards authority. And, uh, you know, I grew up during a time when authority was, uh, uh, actually, I think authority is still in disregard or maybe worse now. But um, we, we, we tend to think some of these movements that are going on recently, and we, we've studied through a little bit of this in, in uh the will, we will not be silent book that the men's went, men went through. And 
we see this rejection of authority, and a lot of times it's meant to bring about a, an overturn in the, in the structure of society. Uh, and this was going on when I was, when I was a kid, too. Uh, you know, there's this whole question authority attitude that was, I think, popularized by Timothy Leary. You know, and he, he was a real enlightened dude. He was a Ph.D. in psychology at Harvard, and he was advocating the use of psychedelic drugs and all these kind of things. But, I mean, you see how basically this, this idea is, is pushing a, an anarchy. It's trying to disturb the, the order of our society. And if we aren't careful, we get caught up in this, this thing. Um, so... Uh, let me just read 17 through 19. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, and that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For it is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, that we may, and we may trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. We'll catch up some of the things in the, in the last bits of this as we go. But I guess the, the, the point here is, is that uh, uh, we have to be careful about our attitude towards authority. And I think as, as freedom-loving Americans, we, we don't really like people telling us what to do. I mean, is, is, I mean, we can get into that mode, you know, and it's like, I like being able to make my own choices as well as anybody. Uh, and I think that's, that's part of the freedom that we enjoy here in the, in the United States. But we have to be careful that we don't let that push us into a, a realm where we reject all authority. And, there, and there's plenty of help to, to help you reject authority today. I mean, a lot of people have, or there's a lot of circumstances, even within uh, Christian ministries, where people have done some really bad things, and people are using those facts to kind of basically say you should not trust any authority. Well, that's, that's not healthy. Um, I mean, we have to understand that, yes, there are checks that need to be kept in place. We need to look after uh, those in authority. But those that are doing the right things, we, we, uh, we need to be subject to that authority. You know, our pastor here, I think he, he spends a lot of uh, his effort, a lot of his concern watching over us, and we should be really thankful for that and be willing to, to listen to what he says when he has something that he, he uh, wants us to do. Um, Let's see, back in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Though he were a son, this is talking about Christ, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. And uh, the point here is, is, is Christ was subject to the authority of the Father. Uh, doesn't mean that he's inferior. Uh, you know, we, and we can talk about this and. In relationship to uh, you know relations in the home and that kind of thing, uh, th there's authority structures that God has put in place, and that I think it's important that uh, that we not dismiss all those just because we've seen authority abused in, in certain circumstances. Um, going on, it says you know that that those in a, an authority over you can bring a good report. Um, there's a, a time a while back that uh, I and I were, I've worked in a company that's international for a long time now and uh, we got into a situation where we had a, a local guy in management that was I mean he was high in management very you know and uh, he didn't like this guy that was in charge that was in France and um, and I mean you know I must say that uh, a lot of times uh, you know foreign management is kind of viewed with a certain suspicion and 
understand that. But he, it went beyond with this guy. It went beyond the, you know, I don't think he's making good choices. This is, I'm not going to do it because he asked me to do it because I don't like him. This is not a good way to live. <laughs> Wasn't a good way to work either. He doesn't work there anymore. <laughs> but you know, I think this is, this is something we got to be aware of as, you know, as we, we, the old, you know, cut off your nose to spite your face kind of thing that I don't know, my mom used to say that. Um, but, you know, we, we have to be careful that we aren't rejecting authority just uh, and doing it in such a way that's really not helpful for us. I mean, when, when uh, you have leaders that are they're there to give a, a report and uh, you don't do what they want just because, well, that's not good for you. I mean, it's much more helpful if they can give a, a good report. It brings uh, joy to them. It reduces the weariness that's brought on by the by the watching. In other words, if, if, you, know, if, if you make it a real burden for those that are... Uh, in, in, in leadership and in, in ministry in the church so forth um, you know they're not going to have time to focus on uh, on maybe the more joyful aspects of the ministry that if they're always having to clean up all the problems uh, and it also encourages uh, the labor by which by the way of results you know you start when you have ever spent time uh, helping somebody that's maybe new in the faith and helping them grow and come along and understand the Bible there's a lot of joy in that right but I mean if uh, if they're just bucking all the way, uh, that's, that's not so fun. Uh, again, Spurgeon says, The movements of God's servants may be controlled by prayer. You cannot tell how much of the blessing will come to your own souls through the ministry if you are in the habit of praying about it. And it says, The man who comes up to God's house having prayed for God to bless the preacher is not likely to go away unprofited. And this is, uh, this is more tying into... Uh, the request that, that they've asked, it's asked for prayer here in verse uh, 18. It says, you know, and, and Spurgeon's point is, you know, if we, if we come each week and we're praying for the ministry of the word and, the, and whoever's going to bring it, um, you know, we're not likely to go out and say, well, that was lousy. I, you know, I, don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it helps, helps the man preaching as well as it helps the man receiving. And so it's a, it's a, it's a good thing around all ways. Um, and then uh, some of the things that we see, I think it gives us a little more candid view here in verses 18, uh, that the people that are, are serving in that capacity, they, they need prayer just like the rest of us, is that they could live righteously. Um, you know, for example, this message is being delivered to the, uh, to the Hebrew believers here. You know, you could say, well, he wanted to be clear that he was doing this with a good conscience. He wasn't doing this because he just didn't like the Levitical system. I mean, it's, uh, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We could probably, you know, make a little more statements about that if we did. But, you know, the, the point was is he, he delivered this message because it was the truth, not because uh, he was just had an axe to grind. Um, and that's what he was asking them to pray for, that he, he would have that attitude. And that he could live with integrity. It says uh, that the message would be honorable and help him to live honestly. And this is, uh, this is a big, big risk. You know, I mean, there's always pressure. Uh, you know, and the, it's been said that, you know, if the devil can, can damage somebody that's leading in, in a ministry, I mean, he can affect a lot of people. Uh, so pray for those that are uh, like in pastoral ministry and so forth. Um, and then he wanted to be brought back into the fellowship. He enjoyed the encouragement of, of being with them again, and he was looking forward to that and asking, asking them to pray for that. Okay, and then as we, as we kind of bring this to a close, let's think a little bit about 
how this relates to us, and we've kind of touched on some of this as we go. Uh, we're not Jewish believers, but um, uh, if we look in, in Ephesians, I think we see some of the same things here. It says in chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, and you might you know, be thinking about uh, Ephesians chapter 2, your mind usually jumps to, you know, by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Um, but if you go on down a couple verses, it says, Wherefore remember that ye being in past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision that by by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands that at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world um, so we were in a situation where we were outside this uh, this group of of Jewish believers but as we uh, work on down, we find that we share in this new altar. Go on down to verse 13 in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off and were made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, and he hath made both one. He hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Okay, so it says in Christ he's, he's brought the Jewish uh, people that were not necessarily believers at the time and he's brought the Gentiles who didn't even, they weren't even in the camp, they weren't even any part of that. And through Christ, there's one common way that we can come to salvation. And that's what, uh, what's been accomplished there. So just in the same way that the Jews had this new altar, that altar applies to us. That altar is the cross. That altar is, is what brings us both uh, hope. Um, we're also both part of the new dwelling for a uh, and we can, in chapter 2 of Ephesians has a, many helpful things. This Verses 18 says, For th through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all you, or all the building fitly framed together groweth unto the holy temple in the Lord in whom you are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit so we've been put into that joint uh, building that uh, looks forward to the future of of the new Jerusalem we're all uh, one assembly uh, going forward in Christ and then also uh, we're redeemed for good works. You back up a few verses in the verse 10. It says, For your, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When it says, you know, to do good, to continue to do good and communicate, well, that's what we're created for in Christ. And likewise, um, ours is a life of praise and thanksgiving and submission. Uh, Ephesians 5 says, Speaking to yourselves in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto the God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. 
And I think we can, we can all share in this prayer that we need to bring for those that are uh, our leaders in, in Christ, uh, whether we came from a Jewish background or whether we're in Terrell Bible Church sitting here in 2022. So there's a, a, a lot of things that have brought about in, you know, I get a little nervous when people say there's something new, you know, like, oh, I found some new passage, I found some new truth. Well, we're not saying it's a new truth, we're just saying compared to the, the old system, this is a, a new way, and that new way is in Christ. So maybe you're sitting here today and you say, well, I, you know, I don't know about this, you know, and uh, are you under that blood of Christ? Have you come to him and realized that you are a sinner and you are in need of that Savior, that there's a work that only he can do uh, to bring you into this this relationship that we've been talking about today to bring you into these new things that uh, that only he can provide if you if you find yourself in that situation please come to one of us after the service we'd be happy to show you through the the scriptures how you can be saved how you can put your trust in in the the savior that has done this work that's brought about this new change in all of us um, and i think all of us that are saved we can be encouraged that uh, Things have changed, uh, not so uh, from the Old Testament system. There's a, uh, and we have much to look forward to, and it also uh, brings about a change in our lives day to day. We can be praising, we can be uh, doing good, we can be uh, acting in a way that, that is well-pleasing to God. So let's uh, ask his help as we, as we do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find. And uh, we thank you just for the, the change that, that you bring about. And we thank you that we, we see that as uh, we look through Scripture uh, throughout the morning in, in the different settings. And, and we thank you that it's not something that's uh, isolated and, and very narrow, but uh, it's, it's brought throughout your word. pray that you would do the work that, that you can do in our, our lives and our hearts. That you'd help us to, to be the beacons of light that you want us to be. And, and if there's somebody that, that hasn't trusted Christ, I pray that you'd bring them to you today. We learned about the way you draw a couple weeks ago. And I pray that you just do that. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 